0: Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black hardcover Bible in the chair in front of you. You could go ahead and grab that and borrow that for this morning. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 18 to 34. It's going to be on pages 862 to 863 in the hardcover Bible in front of you. Pages 862 to 863. If this is your first time looking at a Bible, the big numbers are the chapter numbers and the small numbers are the verse numbers. So we are on in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible, which is not too different from your translation if you have a different one. Here then, God's word from Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. As he, that's Jesus, as Jesus was telling them these things, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt down before him saying, my daughter just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. Just then a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. For she said to herself, if I can just... Touch his robe, I'll be made well. Jesus turned and saw her. Have courage, daughter, he said. Your faith has saved you. And the woman was made well, or the woman was saved from that moment. When Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute players and a crowd lamenting loudly. Leave, he said, because the girl's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. And the crowd had been put outside. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. And the girl got up. Then news of this spread throughout the whole area. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men approached him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Then Jesus warned them sternly, Be sure that no one finds out. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout that whole area. Just as they were going out, a demon-possessed man, who was unable to speak, was brought to him. When the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed, saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisee said, He drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us. Father, that's our prayer, that your word would dwell richly among us. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for the gift of your word, the most precious gift we have on earth today, your very words. We pray that you would open the eyes of our heart to see Christ, to see wonderful things here in this text. We pray that you would incline our hearts to your testimony, to these words and not to material gain. We ask, Father, that you would unite our hearts with a singular focus to fear your name. And we pray, we ask, we beg you that you would satisfy us this morning with your steadfast covenant love in Christ so that we would rejoice and be glad in you all of our days in pain and in pleasure, in trial and in treasure. Help us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 6.33 is maybe one of the most famous. Actually, there's a lot of famous verses in the Sermon on the Mount, but you're familiar with Matthew 6.33. But seek first the what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's a desire that all Christians have. We want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, everyone in the world seeks a kingdom, Everyone in the world seeks the kingdom, actually. They just don't like the of God part. So the kingdom is what everyone longs for. It's, it's our final hope. A place without pain. A, pace, a place without tears. A place without suffering. A place of perfect relationships. No death. No pain. No suffering. No trials. Everyone wants that. You don't need to be a Christian to want the kingdom. But to want the kingdom of God and to seek that first... That's the hard part. We're too easily distracted and confused and worshiping other things in this world that we don't seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But Christians, when you became a Christian, you decided to take up your cross and follow Jesus. You decided that you're going to turn back from the world and you're going to repent and turn from your sins and other gods and you're going to trust in Christ and entrust yourself fully to Christ alone for your salvation, for your life, and for the rest of your life. You decided to follow Jesus. You decided you were going to seek first the king and therefore seek first his kingdom. Now here's the problem with seeking first the kingdom of God for Christians. The problem is, well, actually, let me see here first among you. How would you define the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Do you know what the kingdom of God is? Anyone here courageous enough to shout out a definition of the kingdom of god according to the new testament or according to the bible the place where the king rules okay the place where the king rules thanks connie what else anyone else want to give another guess the kingdom of god the place where god rules communion, god and brothers and sisters. communion with god and with communion with god and brothers and sisters great well we could take those actually two definitions and put them together well here's the general problem though The general problem is it's really hard to define the kingdom of God. It's really hard to get a good definition of it. And if you're going to seek the kingdom of God and not just seek it in general, but seek it in what priority? Seek what? First. First. If you're going to seek first the kingdom of God and you don't know what the kingdom of God is, it's kind of hard to seek it first, at least to know that you're doing it, right? So if we don't know what it is, we don't really know whether we're actually succeeding in seeking first the kingdom of God or not. Now here is a devastating quote that I read this week from Gordon Fee. He wrote this. You cannot know anything about Jesus, anything, if you miss the kingdom of God. You are zero on Jesus if you don't understand this term. I'm sorry to say it that strongly, but this is the great failure of evangelical Christianity. We have had Jesus without the kingdom of God and therefore have literally done Jesus in. I read that and thought, wow, that is really strong. I can't know anything about Jesus if I don't know the kingdom of God. I am zero on Jesus. I start thinking about our church family. Are they zero on Jesus? Are we zero on Jesus because we don't know how to define the term the kingdom of God? That's alarming and that's scary. Now, that might be a little bit of an overstatement, but it's not an overstatement to say that Jesus preached the kingdom of God and that was his main message. So if we don't know what the kingdom of God is, if we don't have a, a clear enough picture in our minds of what this idea is, we're going to be largely amiss or at least unaware of whether we're on the right track or not, okay? So we need to know what the kingdom of God is. So I'm going to give you a definition, okay? I'm going to give you a definition of the kingdom of God. I'll give you, I'll give you my definition and I'll give you like two other short ones that might be helpful Because it's such a hard concept that I want to give lots of different ways of saying it, okay? And then I'm going to read our statement of faith on it, our confession of faith. But here's my definition of the the kingdom of God. It is God's sinner-saving, curse-reversing reign. The kingdom of God is God's sinner-saving, curse-reversing reign. Okay, that's my short definition. God's sinner-saving, curse-reversing reign. Um. Graham Goldsworthy, he defines it this way. God's people in God's place under God's rule. So Connie said the place where God rules. And our our friend over here said the people communing with God and with each other. So there's God's place and there's God's people. So Graham Goldsworthy putting it together. God's people in God's place under God's rule. Another pastor here in Los Angeles, Jeremy Trayton in Reality LA, he, he defines it this way in his book. It's God's reign through God's people over God's creation. God's reign through God's people over God's creation. And then one more, uh, my brother Patrick Schreiner, who's a professor at Western Seminary up in Oregon. We did the internship together in Washington, D.C. He, he defines it this way in his book. The king's power over the king's people in the king's place. It's really close to Graham Goldsworthy. The king's power over the king's people in the king's place. Okay, so if I took it, I'd just say God's sinner-saving, curse-reversing reign. That's what the kingdom of God is. Now, that doesn't mean a lot yet. Don't worry, I'm gonna give you some a good picture of it, but I just wanted you to get the words out there. Okay? God's sinner-saving, curse-reversing reign. Now, when I say sinner-saving, I mean people, right? Because... Um, sinners that are saved are people. And then when I say curse reversing, I mean the verse that we did not sing from joy to the world, which is in, in hymn 87, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Why, why are there thorns? Because of the what? curse. Because Adam and Eve what? They sinned, right? So no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes. He comes his kingdom. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. That's the kingdom. That's a curse reversing rule of God. God is reversing the curse, and He's bringing in His blessing. Okay, so it's the sinner saving, curse reversing rule of God. Okay. One more, I know there's a lot of words. Don't worry, we're going, to get, we're going to get all stories. So don't worry, we're going to get into the story here because there's at least three or four stories here that we're going, to, we're going to jump into. One more, let me give you one more big definition. This is our church's confession of faith, okay? So you can check this on our church website. Maybe you have a copy of our church confession of faith. Um, but here's what it says in our confession of faith. The kingdom of God, already present but not fully realized, is the exercise of God's blessed reign. There's sinner, saving, curse, reversing rule, blessed reign. The exercise of God's blessed reign in the world toward the reversal of the curse on all creation. God's place. Now here's what it is. Here's another way of saying it, continuing. It is an invasive power. It is an invasive power that regenerates and renovates the lives of individuals through repentance and faith, thus plundering Satan's kingdom. So it regenerates, it renovates people. It establishes a new community of human life together under God. So it's God's people together. Now, is it fully here yet? Is the kingdom fully here? The answer is no. So it says here, the full consummation of the kingdom awaits the return of Jesus Christ at the end of this age. Okay, so that's the kingdom of God. It's already here, but not fully here yet. So if we need to, if we're going to seek first the kingdom, we need to understand what the kingdom is. So here's the main goal. Okay, you guys ready for the main goal of this sermon, this text? See the kingdom of God so that you seek the kingdom of God. See the kingdom of God so that you seek first the kingdom of God. How can we see the kingdom of God today? Have you seen the kingdom of God today? Have you seen it this week? You need to see it so that you seek it. But have you seen it? Do you even know what you're looking at? Maybe you saw it and you didn't even realize you were looking at it. Have you seen the kingdom of God? Now, here we're going to get four specific ways in these stories on seeing the kingdom of God. So just to, just to look at these four ways of seeing the kingdom of God, Jesus heals a sick woman who's been sick for 12 years. He raises a dead girl. He gives sight to two blind men and he casts out a what? A demon, okay? He heals the sick, raises the dead, uh, gives sight to the blind and he um, casts out a demon. Now the word kingdom is not in our passage. So, PJ, why are you saying this is seeing the kingdom of God? It doesn't even say kingdom of God here in the passage. Well, look again at your Bible. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. Look at Matthew 10, verse 7. This is Jesus sending his disciples. We'll talk about this passage next Sunday. But here, Jesus says to his disciples as he sends them, As you go, proclaim what? What has come near? The kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom, that's your message. Go town to town, village to village. The kingdom of heaven has come near. How do you see it? You say it, but how do they see it? Look at the next verse. Heal the what? Sick. Raise the? The dead. Cleanse those with leprosy. That's not quite sight to the blind, but that's still healing. And then what's the last one? Drive out what? Demons. How are they going to see the kingdom of God? So the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. How do you see it? We're healing the sick. We're raising the dead, we're cleansing lepers, and we are casting out what? Demons. This is seeing the kingdom, okay? So this is the sight of the kingdom. The question is, do you see the kingdom? God wants you through this passage to see the kingdom of God so that you seek the kingdom of God. So let's look at these four pictures of seeing the curse-reversing reign of God, the sinner-saving curse-reversing reign of God. So there's four things that the kingdom of God reverses. Number one, see that the kingdom reverses sickness. See the kingdom reverse sickness. So going to chapter nine, verse 18, as Jesus was telling these things, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt down before him saying, my daughter just died, but come lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus and his disciples get up and they start following this man to his daughter. On their way, look at verse 20. On their way, just then a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. For she said to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. If I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. Now, now um, Matthew is giving us a summary of these stories. If you want to le- read these two stories, go to Mark chapter 5. You can look at that later for homework. Read Mark chapter 5. It gives you a fuller explanation with more details. Matthew is summarizing here. But what happened? This woman, I'll just give you some details on this woman's story. She had been bleeding for 12 years, on and off, hemorrhaging blood. Now, not constantly, or else she wouldn't be alive after 12 years of doing that. But intermittently, she would be bleeding, and so she couldn't get rid of the sickness. She had used all of her money, spent all her money, paid for all these doctors, and didn't get better. So she was sick constantly. That could get discouraging, right? I mean, when you get sick, you're just like, okay, I'm sick for this time, but I'll get better eventually. So, there's always that bright side of hope. But when that hope lasts, when when that sickness lasts one year, two years, five years, eight years, and it just keeps going, eventually you get to the point where you just give up and say, you know what? I guess I'm just going to be sick for the rest of my life. This is discouraging. You spend all your money and then you're sick for the rest of your life. Not only that, ceremonially, to be bleeding like that would make her ceremonially unclean. She couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't worship God with his people at the temple because she would be ceremonially unclean because of her bleeding. So not, not only are you estranged from like medically and then from your family and you're, now you're broke, you're, you can't, people can't even touch you if they want to be ceremonially clean because if they touch you, they become ceremonially unclean. So now you're even estranged from people, your community, because of this bleeding. And this has been going on for 12 years. I mean, she probably got to the point where she just gave up. Forget. It, I'm just. This is how I'm going to be for the rest of my life. Then all of a sudden, she starts hearing stories about some guy traveling around. And what is he doing? He's healing the what? He's healing the sick. She hears one story. Ah, too good to be true. Here's another story. Ah, too good to be true. But she starts hearing seven, eight, ten, twenty, thirty stories of different people being healed, and she thought, "This is my chance. If this is real, this is my one chance to get healed." So she comes up with a plan. I'm going to find this guy. And when there's a crowd, I'm going to find a way to kind of weave my way through the crowd with all the strength I can muster. I'm going to grab his robe because I know that if I touch his robe, I'll be made well. Now, that word made well there, in the, in the Greek, it's I'll be saved. Now, it's not speaking of when we think saved as Christians, we think saved from hell, right? Saved from our sins, saved from judgment. And that's right for us to think about. But she wasn't thinking saved from sins at that point. She's thinking I'm going to be saved from my sickness. If I could just touch his robe, I will be saved. So she reaches out, it says in verse 22. um, So she does that. She touches the end of his robe because she knows that's her only hope. So verse 22, what does Jesus do? Jesus turns and sees her. Now, this is a summary again. There's more details in Mark, but we'll, we'll stay with the summary form here. Jesus turned and saw her. And does Jesus get mad? Did she ask for permission? No, she did not ask for permission. I was reading this with my kids this week in our family chapel, and I said, you know, oftentimes, um, you, there are times, there's a lot of times in your life where you don't need permission. You just need, you, whenever it's the right thing to do, you always do the right thing. You always do what's good for God's glory and for your joy in God, no matter what. You don't need permission all the time. You don't need, you don't need your dad's permission. Just go obey God. Just go, you don't need a pastor's permission. Just go obey God. So here she, she doesn't ask for permission. She just does it. And instead of Jesus rebuking her, um, what does Jesus say? Have courage, daughter. Be encouraged. Good job. Good job, daughter. And then he says to her, Your faith has what? Your faith has saved you. And the woman was saved or made well from that moment. So she had a mindset Jesus is my only hope for healing. I'm going after him. She gets there, she touches him. Jesus doesn't discourage her, he doesn't rebuke her, he doesn't reprimand her, he encourages her. Have courage, daughter. Your faith has made you well. So keep going, keep going with your, you're, you're doing well now, just keep going. From that moment on, she was healed from her affliction. Now what healed her or who healed her? Jesus did, but Jesus didn't say I healed you. He said, what What saved you? Your what? Your faith. Now faith doesn't save um, by itself. Faith is, you can think of faith as a rope. Faith is a rope that you can, if you're, you know, um, or yeah, faith. Faith is if you're at sea and um, and uh, there's a rope in the water to pull you. Um, if that rope is is attached to a boat where you can like you know get some there's a, there's a solid end on the other side of the rope, then you're you're good, right? Grab onto that rope and they could pull you in. Now if there's just a rope lying in the water and you grab it, you're still going down, right? That rope doesn't float by itself. Faith is like a rope in that regard. It's it's not. It is the tool that's going to save you if there's a boat on the other side that, that's going to, and people there who are going to pull you. But a rope by itself is no good when you're in the middle of the ocean by itself. Faith doesn't save you by itself. What faith is attached to is, what save, is who saves you. But the rope is, is instrumental in that, right? And so when Jesus says your faith has saved you, he's not saying that you just need to be a person of faith. Brothers and sisters in this church, don't just be a person of faith. When people talk about just... You know, having strong faith, that doesn't mean It's like, have a good rope. Okay, but what is the rope attached to? I still might drown here, right? It's not about having a good rope. It it depends on what the rope is attached to. So faith in Jesus. This woman didn't just say, I need to have faith and I'll be saved. I need to touch Jesus's rope. I need Jesus. I need to touch him. I believe in him, not I just believe in general. And so there's the call. We're going to see this theme throughout. Trusting in Christ is the way that you receive and enjoy and seek first the kingdom by trusting in Christ. That's what she does. She trusts in Jesus. And so we are to trust in Jesus too, and healing afflictions comes in that light. Now Jesus came according to Matthew 8:17 to heal us from our diseases. So Christians, we need to trust Jesus to heal us from our diseases. Now if I say that, that's dangerous to say in our world today, right? Trust Jesus to heal you from your diseases because he will heal you from your diseases. Psalm 103 says, um, You know, blessed be, the, blessed be God who heals you from all your diseases or heals you from all your sicknesses. Will Jesus heal you from all your sicknesses? Yes or no? How many of you say yes? He'll heal you from all your sicknesses. How many of you say no? Okay, some of you say no, and you're both right, depending on what you mean. You could all be wrong or right, right? It just depends on what you mean. If you mean that Jesus heals you from all your sicknesses as soon as you tell him to, just right there, like that, like a genie, does he heal all your sicknesses all the time? No, that's the fake, false, demonic prosperity gospel, that you just name it and claim it. If you just believe, I claim that Jesus is going to heal me, so therefore I'm going to be healed. That's not, that's not biblically true. God lets people get sick and die from sickness, Right? And that doesn't mean they don't trust in Jesus. They might not trust in Jesus, but they might trust in Jesus and still die. So that prosperity false gospel that says you could claim it and it's yours whenever you say it, that's just a lie. On the other side, though, Christians might say, well, no, Jesus doesn't heal you from all your sicknesses. Well, he does. The Bible does tell us that he's going to heal us from all our sicknesses, just not on our timing. He will in the end, right? But does Jesus sometimes heal us even in time before the end? Yeah, sometimes, right? Sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. And I want you to pray for it. I want you to trust that God will heal you, but trust God with an open hand, not with a closed hand. God, you have to give me this healing. Rather pray desperately and fervently, God, please heal me or please heal my brother or sister in Christ or my friend, but pray with an open hand like Jesus did. Let this cup be passed from you, from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So let's pray for healing. But let us not be disappointed when the, healing isn't come, when, when the healing doesn't come. And here's why. Because even if Jesus does heal this woman, guess what? She's still going to eventually what? Die. Die. And if Jesus heals you of your sickness now, guess what's going to happen? If he doesn't come soon, you're eventually going to what? Die. Every healing, whether God gives you a healing now in this life or not, every healing is not a permanent healing in this life. It's temporal, Right? You're still going to die. So if you just say name it and claim it, you can't name it and claim it until you die or else you'll never die, right? But you're going to die. You can't just cl- keep claiming it until you live like 200 years old. That's not happening. It's not gonna happen, right? And so even when God does heal us in this life, it's temporary. All healing is pointing to the final healing that Jesus will give us because he bore our diseases and sicknesses on the cross, according to Matthew 8:17, quoting Isaiah 53. All right, so brother, sister, trust God to save you. Trust God to save you from sickness. Now ask him for it. And if he doesn't give it to you now, trust him because he will heal you in the end. Rejoice in your trials. If you're not sick, for those of you, I'm speaking to all of you who are temporarily healthy. Okay, and I say that very intentionally. You're temporarily healthy. Trust God in your trials now, because guess what? Your health is only temporary in this life. Everyone's health here is temporary. Trust God now with your other trials because your health will eventually fail you unless you die suddenly. So prepare to rejoice. Christians, church family, let's aid one another in sickness and distress. That's what, that's what um, we covenanted to in our church covenant that we'll aid one another in sickness and distress even before asking for it. So I'm rebuked and I just need a, like, let me make a public apology here and then um, try to live this way as I apply it to you. Don't say, and I just learned this this week, I can tell you why later. I'll send an email to the church with the interview that, where I learned this. But um, I was listening to an interview of, of someone talking about suffering. And she said, when you talk to people in church, don't say when they're suffering, let me know if there's anything I could do to help you. Just call me. Now you can have good intentions. You can mean that sincerely. Sometimes people use that as a cop-out, but I wouldn't assume people are using it as a cop-out. But instead of doing that, just volunteer to help. Don't say, let me help you when I, you know, if you need anything, call me. Just think of something good to do and do it. And then you could ask, is there anything else? Okay, but don't, don't wait until they ask. Just do something good. Do something for them. Bring them a meal. Pray for them. Visit them. Just do something good. And then, and then, and then from there, um, move on. So this is, I'm trying to give you glasses here to see the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. God working on healing people. So let me read to you a quote from a New Testament scholar who wrote this: "The church has been tasked with signing the kingdom. We are the signs of the kingdom. Such signing occurs. here's how you sign the kingdom as a church. When we this is application, right? When we proclaim the gospel, when we carry out spiritual warfare we're going to talk about that later, exorcism. and when we offer healing and he says this in parentheses physical, emotional and spiritual healing the ancient world did not neatly distinguish between these three. Jesus performed these kingdom signs as an indication that the new creation was on its way. The kingdom was coming. So here it is, brothers and sisters. When we care for each other, when we, when we preach the gospel to each other, when we gospelize each other, when we help each other fight spiritual warfare, and when we help each other in our health, physical health, emotional health, health mental health, spiritual health, when we provide healing for each other as best we can, we are showing and signing that the kingdom of God is on its way. So I want you, you can't seek the kingdom if you don't see the kingdom. Has anyone helped you in your distress before? Who's a Christian? If, if they are a Christian who helped you, you know why the Christian helped you? Because the Holy Spirit lives in them. And the Holy Spirit, his sinner-saving, curse-reversing rule, is working through them to serve you. That's the kingdom. Do you see it? Have you seen it in your life in the past month? See the kingdom so that you seek the kingdom. If you don't see it, you can't seek it. That's first, okay? So see the kingdom of God in reversing sickness. Secondly, see the kingdom reversing death. Look at Matthew 9 again. So in 18 and 19, now again, Matthew is summarizing the story here. We find out in Mark that um, the dad didn't know the daughter was dead and then he got news later. But Matthew's summarizing the story here. So, but notice this, the way Matthew tells it is still true. Here's what Matthew says. The dad comes up to Jesus in Matthew 9, 18 and 19, and he says this. My daughter just what? Just died. And what does he say after that? Come and what? Lay your hand on her and she will what? Live. What do we call that? Someone say it. Say it again. Faith. What is, she be- what, is this, what is this dad believing? And it is resurrection, but what is this dad believing? That Jesus can what? Can raise the? The dead. Now the word faith is not here, but I want you to see that in this, in all four stories, it's a, it's a faith issue. The way you re- receive and live in the kingdom is by faith in Jesus. That's a summary. You do it by trusting in Jesus. Here she trusts Jesus. Uh, the, the dad trusts Jesus because he said, "My daughter died, but come and and, and um, lay your hand on my daughter, and the, the daughter will live." How? If you didn't believe in Jesus, what might you say if you're bringing Jesus to heal your daughter? Come on, come on, come with me. Heal my daughter. You're bringing Jesus to heal your daughter and then you find out on the way that your daughter died. If you didn't believe in Jesus, what would you say at that point? Too late, sorry. Too late. sorry. Thank you for trying to help. I really appreciate the fact that you walk with me half a mile and that you're willing to come. I'm sorry that she's dead now, but um, thank you for being willing. That's what you might say, right? In politeness. But if you believe in Jesus, that he could raise the dead, you say, come on, right? Let's go. Now, Matthew's summarizing it here. It was a little bit, more nuance than that. He actually got the news and he was discouraged. And then Jesus said, "Don't worry, just believe," and the guy believes and continues. So, but it, the idea is still the same: is that he trusted in Jesus to raise his daughter from the dead, resurrection. And so Jesus gets there, in verse twenty-three, in verse twenty-four, the, or in verse twenty-three, the crowd is crying and lamenting, professional mourners. Now, you had to mourn fast in those days. It's not like. Because the body decomposes and the burial is quick. It's not like this long scheduled procession of, of you know, events for burial. In those days, you, you're, you die, you need to have mourning really quick, bury really quick because the body's going to decompose pretty fast. So the daughter dies, the mourners come immediately and they start mourning and lamenting. Jesus comes and says, why are you guys crying? The girl's not dead. She's what? Sleeping. Now, Jesus is not ignorant to medical You know, when death happens, the the heart stopped beating, you know, Uh, the blood stopped flowing, Um, the body stopped breathing. Jesus is not ignorant to that. He doesn't, he's not saying it like as if he doesn't know that the the girl just died, but he knows he's going to what? Raise Raise her from the dead. So he says she's just sleeping. And so they laugh at him. In verse 25, they put the crowd outside. Jesus goes in and takes her by the hand. And what happens to the girl? She gets up, and the news of this spread everywhere. So Jesus had the power to raise the dead. He just raised the dead girl, and he touched the dead girl. Now, ceremonially, again, in the Old Testament, if you touch a dead body, what happens to you ceremonially? You're unclean because you touch a dead body, and the kingdom of God is not. There's no death in the kingdom of God, so you're not really clean for the kingdom. At least, so you got to go through the cleanse, ritual cleansing. But if that dead body begins to live, then the death has not got onto you, but life from you has got onto her, right? And that's what happened here. So not only is Jesus not ceremonially unclean, this, this girl gets up and lives. Jesus raises the dead. Does Jesus still raise the, now then Jesus sends his disciples, they're gonna go raise the dead. Peter in Acts chapter five, is it Acts chapter five? I can't remember. No, Acts chapter 10, he raises the dead. Paul raises um, Eutychus who died hearing a really long sermon. Don't fall asleep on me. I can't raise you if you die here. But, but does, Jesus, does, God, does Jesus still raise the dead today? Look at Ephesians 2. Turn to your Bibles in Ephesians 2. Listen to Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. If you can't turn there, just listen. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. And then listen to verse 4. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, what did he do in verse five? Made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in sins, in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places. So before you became a Christian, what were you? Dead, dead in your trespasses and sins. And that's the deeper death. Physical death is kind of the, the, sec, the, 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 um, the consequential death. But the spiritual death is the deeper cause of the effect of physical death. Spiritual death. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And how did you become a Christian? What did God do? He made you what? He made you alive in Christ. You're saved by grace through faith, not of your works, right? It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. You, got, you, got, you, were, made, you were dead in your sins and God made you alive. Just like this girl, Dead, laying down, people mourning. Jesus comes to a dead girl, grabs her hand, and raises her from the dead. For me personally, in 1989, I was dead in my sins. Someone preached the gospel to me, actually used Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and God raised me from the dead. That's what he did when you became a Christian. You were raised from the dead. So here's my question. Do you see the kingdom today? Do you see the kingdom of God reversing death today? Have you seen anyone get saved, converted in your lifetime? If you've seen someone, if you knew someone who wasn't a Christian, and then now you know they're a Christian, guess what? Guess what you're seeing right there? The kingdom of God. The sinner saving, curse reversing rain that is reversing the spiritually dead into spiritually alive. When you come to a gathering like this, when we when we baptize new Christians, when we share the gospel of the lost. You're seeing God raise the dead. You don't seek the kingdom, though, if you don't see the kingdom. Do you see that as you spread the gospel and people believe in Christ, the kingdom of God is manifested? Seek first the kingdom of God. See the fact that God is reversing death in this world. Not only that, when I got saved in 1989 by God's grace through faith, That was also, I was guaranteed at that moment of justification that one day I will be glorified and raised from the dead physically when Christ returns. Christ will raise the dead. And so we sing, death is dead, love has won, Christ has conquered. If you're not a Christian, what is your hope in death? If you're not a Christian, you have the same future that we have in the sense that we're all going to die. But my question to you, if you're not a Christian, is what is your hope? Because you are marching moment by moment. We're all marching moment by moment towards death. What is your hope? Let me give you the hope of the gospel. If you don't hear anything else, listen to this for this one minute. Here is the good news of Christianity if you're not a Christian. And even if you are a Christian, this is good news for you too, right? God made you. He made you to know him and enjoy him and to enjoy life with him, with his people, in the kingdom forever. That's what God made you to do, to be made in his image to enjoy him and enjoy other image bearers forever. Our problem is we sinned against God. We rebelled against God. We rejected God in our sin. And because of that, we were sentenced to death. The wages of sin is death. We were damned and condemned to die. That's the bad news. The good news is that God sent his son Jesus into this world to live the life we should have lived. He died on the cross for our sins. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead so that everyone who repents from their sins and repents from their own goodness and righteousness and trusts in Jesus alone for their life and salvation would be forgiven of all their sins. They would be given the Holy Spirit and they would walk in newness of life. If you're not a Christian, here's God's invitation to you this morning. Turn from your sins, turn from your goodness and trust in Jesus Christ. Entrust yourself to him. And you will have eternal life. That is your hope. You know, our children, some of our children here are memorizing uh, our Baptist catechism. We have a Baptist catechism. That's not a Roman Catholic thing. Catechism was long before the Roman Catholic Church. It's just, it just means teaching. So what catechism is, is we teach our kids questions and they, a- they memorize answers to the questions. So I'm not going to put my kids on the spot here. But one of the questions is, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer is, that our kids should be memorizing is, that we are not our own but belong body and soul both in life and in death to God and to our savior Jesus the Messiah that's our hope that we belong in life and death to God and to our savior Jesus the Messiah that's your your only hope is who Jesus children memorize that believe that you know um as children, and we've noticed this in our kids as they've grown up, they hit a certain age, and it's different for each kid, but they hit a certain age where they start getting scared when they sleep at night because they're, they're thinking about death. And those are sweet times of parenting. They're also sad times. I mean, they're heart wrenching times because your, your child is, is wrestling, but it's reality. So I don't want to be like, oh, let's just watch a, a Disney movie, you know, just put on a movie to, just to get them to sleep for the night. No, no, you need to wrestle with this. You are going to die. We're all going to die. Dad's going to die. Mom's going to die. We're going to die. Yes. That's true, and it is scary. And that's why God gave us his son. So children, if you wrestle with death, you think about death, you're scared of death, you're grieving over other loved ones who've passed away, you're scared of other loved ones passing away or have, who have passed away, look to Jesus. We're all going to face death. Church family, let's encourage each other and prepare each other to die. Let's hope together and let's grieve together. All right, so the the kingdom reverses sickness. The kingdom reverses what? Secondly, it reverses what? Death. Thirdly, the kingdom reverses blindness. Look at chapter nine, verses 27. Going back to Matthew 9, 27 to 31. The kingdom reverses blindness. Look at your Bible here. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. What do they want? What are they asking for? Mercy, compassion. What is mercy? Mercy is feeling the pain of another and responding in that care and concern. Sometimes we we wanna do the right thing, but we don't take time to let our hearts feel their pain. Mercy is not just doing the good thing for them and then saying, get out of my way. It's actually stopping and pausing long enough to feel their burden with them and then acting, okay? Son of David, have mercy on us. He calls him son of David, Who's David? David is what? David was the what? King of Israel. The greatest king of Israel. And he he received a promise that he would always have a descendant who would sit on what? Sit on the throne and be the king forever. So if you're calling Jesus the son of David, you're saying Jesus is the what? He's the king. And he's supposed to rule and he's going to reign how long? Forever. Son of David, have mercy on us. Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, if you want to just go back to the beginning of Matthew, that's what, how Matthew opens the whole gospel. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. He's the king. 2 Samuel 7 has that Davidic promise. But look at these blind men. So they call it out to Jesus, verse 28. When Jesus entered the house, the blind men approached him, and Jesus said to them, do you what? Do you believe that I can do this? What's the issue for Jesus? Faith. Faith. Faith, trust. Do you trust me to do this? Do you trust my ability to do this? When you, ent- when you encounter the kingdom, the issue is always trust. It's always faith. It's always belief. Do you trust me, Jesus says. That's what the king says over and over. Do you trust me for your sickness? Do you trust me for your blindness? Do you trust me for death? Do you trust me? So he asked them, do you believe I can do this? And what do they say? In verse 28, yes or no? Do they trust him? Yes, they say yes. So then Jesus says, Jesus touches their eyes. Again, an unclean thing to do. He touches their eyes saying, let it be done for you according to your faith. Now that doesn't mean to the degree of your faith, probably. It means in reference to your faith. Because you believe, In light of the fact that you believe, let this be done to you with reference to your faith. So if you really believe, let it be done for you. And what happened in verse 30? Their eyes were what? Their eyes were open. Then Jesus warned them sternly, be sure that no one finds out. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout the whole area. Now, the reason Jesus didn't want them to find out, that's a common question. The reason Jesus doesn't want them to find out is Jesus is not just doing miracles. He also has a message. The kingdom of God has what? Come near. That's his message. He doesn't want the miracles without the message. So if you just keep spreading around his miracle stuff, people are going to come to him because they want to learn about the message? No, because they want what? Just want the miracle. And Jesus says, don't spread it, not because he doesn't want to. He wants to control not just what he does, but the message and interpretation of what he does. That's why he's telling them not to spread it. But they didn't listen. They spread it everywhere. But, but let's go back to, um, let's just draw out a point here before we move on. They cry for mercy Because they want to see. Jesus gives them sight. Do you see the kingdom today? Does Jesus give sight today to blind people? Who's blind spiritually? All all of us are, right? I mean, even right now, my whole sermon is based on the premise that you're missing, you're not quite seeing that the kingdom of God is everywhere, right? There's a certain blindness I'm trying to relieve you of right now, which is the kingdom of God working right now if you see more than you saw before the sermon. Right? So there's sight that, I mean, so is God giving more sight to blind people? Yes. We're called blind in Revelation 3. Remember the lukewarm Christians that Jesus is so sick of, not Luke, in Revelation 3, where he wants to vomit them out of his mouth? And he says, um, for, you say, for you say, I'm rich, I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, and here's the next word, blind and naked. You are blind. Without Jesus is basically saying, without me, you're spiritually blind. You don't know your right hand from your left hand. You don't know where to go in your life. You don't know what to do with your job. You don't know what to do with your parenting. You don't know what to do with your family and friends and your health. You don't have a clue what to do. You have little things to do because the world's telling you, you should do this and you should save for that and you should plan for this. But you have no clue where to go in your life without me. You're just spinning your wheels in the mud without me. You're blind without me. We're all blind. And when you feel you're blind, then you ask Jesus for what? Sight. You ask him for mercy. You say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, I'm about to hear a sermon. I'm about to gather with my church. I'm blind. Give me sight. Help me to see your goodness. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. It's a question of faith. Do you trust Jesus to give you sight? Did they they trust Jesus to give them sight? Yes. And did Jesus give it to them? Yes. And does Jesus do this today? He does. Remember my definite, part of the definition of the kingdom from our doctrinal statement, it says this. The kingdom is an invasive power that regenerates, that causes new birth, born again, and renovates the lives of individuals through faith and repentance, plundering Satan's kingdom. So what does the kingdom of God do? It renovates your life. Have you felt God renovating your life and growing you in your Christian life? I was just thinking as we were singing today, And I'm thinking about the kingdom a lot because I'm about to preach on the kingdom like I am right now. And I was thinking, Lord, this morning, three things went wrong today. At least three things went wrong in my morning. And I was tempted to get angry or complain. I was frustrated inside. I could just feel this restlessness and frustration inside. And here as we're singing about the kingdom of God, I'm realizing that the Lord is calling me to be thankful for these frustrations, that he's behind it. And that more than he wants those frustrations to go away, he actually wants to change my heart. And I, I, I started feeling when I, was, when I was here standing and singing, I started feeling my heart softening and starting to feel thankful for what God was teaching me about these trials this morning. And then I thought, this is the kingdom of God. This is your power, Lord. Right now, your power is invading me as I'm standing up here singing a song, getting ready to preach the word. Your power is invading my heart right now because there are parts of my heart that are blind to seeing your working in these in these situations. There's hardness in my heart that you're still needing to soften. And I need your sinner-saving, curse-reversing reign to keep being applied to me. There's an old praise and worship song that we don't sing, and I'm not sure we'll sing it here, but it's, uh, reign in me, Lord, reign in me. Reign in your power over all my dreams in my darkest hour. You are the Lord of all, uh, of all I am, so won't you reign in me again? That's a, that's a prayer for the kingdom to reign in you. That that invasive power would, Father, please keep invading my heart. Don't stop invading the dark, blind, hard-hearted, cold-hearted parts of my life. Keep invading it and plundering the darkness and sin in my life. Do you see the kingdom of God working in your life? Do you see the kingdom of God working in other people's lives here around you in our church family? Do you see God reversing blindness in our world on some people? Do you see the truth being proclaimed so that the light would shine so that people can see? If you see that, guess what you're seeing? The kingdom of God. And you need to see the kingdom so that you seek first the kingdom. I mean, Paul prayed this. In Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the greatness of his power working in you. See, I like that part, that last part. That you might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. I mean, if you just think about, I'm not gonna preach Ephesians 1, 19 right now, but if you just think about that, Paul's prayer is, God's almighty, infinite power is working in you and you don't see it. So I'm praying that your eye, the eyes of your heart would be open to the fact that God's working in you. So here we see that Christ is healing blindness even today. He gives sight to the blind. So Christian, go directly to Christ for sight. Church family, let's pray for each other to see and let's help each other see. You know, if, uh, Hebrews three twelve and 13, it talks about encouraging each other because we're hardened by sin's de- deception. There are certain blind spots in my life right now that some of our church family is gonna help me see this week. As I interact with you, as you guys show me what's going on in your life or as you bless me or as you encourage me or as you rebuke me, you're gonna show me some blind spots in my life and I'm gonna thank God for them and you're gonna see some in your life as well. So church family, we need to help each other see blind spots. Don't be offended when someone points out a blind spot to you. Thank them because we need to see because we have blind spots. If you're not a Christian, Here's what I want you to consider. Thank you for coming this morning. I want you to consider this. You are blind. You're blind. At least that's what the Bible claims. Can you at least consider the fact that you need God for sight and ask him? At the very least, if you don't trust in Jesus yet, just say, God, can you just show me who you are if this is really who you are? Can you show me who you truly are? Can you show me who Jesus truly is? It's the least you could do. Children, ask God to help you see him and ask your parents for help. Children, don't get upset with your parents when they try to help you see. Parents are trying to help their kids mature to be responsible, thoughtful, seeing adults. So when your your parents try to help you see, don't fight them, thank them, and ask them for more help to help you see more. Okay, so the the kingdom of God reverses sickness, it reverses death, it reverses blindness, and lastly, it reverses... I'm going to use this word. It reverses demonization. Demonization. Some people are demonized. Have you ever been demonized? Okay, this might be a lot, so um, this might be embarrassing. But I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask for hands to be raised here. How many of you think you've been demonized before? Raise your hand. This is a, not even not even a quarter of you. Okay. Well. Um, Let's see what Jesus does here. And then we'll talk about what it means to be demonized. As they were going out, verse 32, a demon-possessed man. And I'm going to say demonized. I think that's better. Demon-possessed is not helpful. A demonized man was, who was unable to speak was brought to him. When the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowds were amazed, saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisee said, he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. So this man was demon-possessed. And actually, that's not bad for here. Because uh, demon-possessed is an all-or-nothing thing. It's either yes or no, you've been demon-possessed, right? But in the Bible, demonization is not just a yes or no, it's a spectrum. You can be more or less influenced by demons. And demon-possession is like a total influence. Like, you know, like, you could, like when, you're, when you're drunk, you know, being filled by the Spirit, or drunk with wine, where you're completely under the influence, completely under the influence of a demon, that would be demon-possession. But demonization is being influenced by a demon anywhere along the spectrum. And we think of demon possession as like, you know, on a scale of one to ten, it's like number ten. But there's still one through nine where you can be demonized. Influenced, tricked, deceived by demons. So Adam and Eve in the garden were not demon possessed. But when they bit the fruit, they were demonized. They were tricked by Satan. Right? That's demonization. Demonization. So let me ask again, how many, of you, how many of you have ever been demonized? Okay, yeah. Everyone's hand should go up. All of us have been demonized. And here, what does Jesus do with the demon? He casts the demon out. And the man is able to speak. Here, the demon has such control that he's even able to shut this guy's mouth so he can't speak. And so, um, where's faith in this one? So you have faith about blindness, faith that he could raise the dead, faith for um, touching the robe... Is there faith here? There's not really faith. I mean, this man is brought to Jesus. And um, this man is brought to Jesus, and then Jesus just, this guy can't even speak, right? He's, demon, he's completely possessed by a demon, controlled by a demon, but Jesus heals him anyways. What do we learn there? That God can act even before faith happens, right? But is there faith in this passage? I would say there is. Where's the faith? Yes, the people who brought him. Why? Did we see that earlier in Matthew 9? Remember Matthew 9, 1 and 2? The man who was in the paralytic in the stretcher? Jesus, they, brought Jesus, they brought this man, dropped him in on the crowd, and it said, seeing their what? Faith. faith. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. So even here, when the demon-possessed man might not have faith, guess who had faith? The ones who brought him. How, how do you receive and extend the kingdom? By what? Faith in Jesus. If you see faith in Jesus anywhere, guess what you're seeing? the kingdom. You're seeing an expression of the kingdom. Here you have people bringing someone demonized, influenced by demons, and Jesus frees the man because this is an invasive power that regenerates and renovates the lives of individuals through repentance and faith, thus plundering Satan's kingdom. Jesus is raising the dead and he's casting out demons. Now, can Christians be demonized? Yes or no? The answer is yes. Christians can be demonized. Let me just give you two passages before we close this thing up. Ephesians 4, 25 says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give an opportunity to who? The devil. Who's Paul writing to in Ephesians? To the church at Ephesus. To the saints in Ephesus. He's telling Christians, Christian, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because you can become an angry person. And guess who will be? Guess who, guess who? has an opportunity now to influence you even more? The devil. Do you know that the devil's mentioned in almost every single New Testament book? There's like two books that he's not mentioned in, I think. I can't remember, I counted a while back. But he's mentioned in almost every book of the New Testament. Demons are active in this church, in this room. Demons are active. There's a spiritual war going on right now, here, and everywhere we're going. Everywhere you're looking, there's a spiritual war going on. 2 Timothy 2. One more passage here. 2 Timothy 2, 24-26. Listen to what it says here about Christians and churches. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone in his church, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents inside and outside the church with gentleness, Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of who? Escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. You hear that? Paul's telling Timothy, you're a pastor of a church because Timothy is pastoring Ephesus. There are going to be people in your church who oppose you and be gentle with them, keep teaching them because they might come to their sentence, they might repent, because they've been captured by who? The devil to do his what? His will. Demonization doesn't just happen out there, it happens in here. It happens in here, in my own heart. It happens in your heart. It happens here. And who's the only one who can free us? Who's the one who reverses demonization? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ reverses demonization. So, Christian, brother and sister, here's the application to you Kill sin. Repent from sin. Don't hide your sin. Don't linger in your sin. Because if you hide your sin, guess who gets more control? Who has more opportunity to influence you? Satan. Every single time. Some people used to say in our church, are we going to do a prayer of confession every Sunday? Yes. I say "Well, without hesitation. Yes. Why? Because we got sins. And if we don't confess our sins regularly, we get insensitive to sins. And when you get insensitive to sins, who has more opportunity? The devil, because it's not that you're not sitting; you're just not sensitive to it. And we call that deception, right? We call that influence. You don't even know you're being influenced, but you're being influenced. And so we confess our sins. We repent. We confess sins to one another. We ask for accountability. We ask people to invade and interrupt our lives and rebuke us. Because if they don't, the demon gets a foothold. Demons get footholds in our lives. And we don't want that for each other. So brothers, and sisters, let's confess our sins to each other. Let's ask for accountability. Let's bear each other's burdens. Let's help each other fight this war in in communication of taking members in, in excommunication. When we excommunicate a member, that's a spiritual warfare act. We don't want them to be trapped, tricked by the devil. So we excommunicate them. We hand them over to Satan so that they could see their sin and eventually repent and come back, right? Because it's a spiritual war and the kingdom of God is moving forward here in Bellflower, as it is all over the globe today. Children, demons love to trick children. Demons love to trick children. You need to go to Jesus for truth and salvation. Kids, read your Bible, ask questions, and look for answers. Read your Bible, ask questions, and get answers. Because if you don't, you are susceptible to being tricked by demons. Satan will even use the Bible, doesn't he, to trick us? We need to know our Bibles, not just know them, we need to know how to interpret them and apply it properly. Okay, so we see the kingdom of God reversing sickness, reversing death, reversing blindness, and reversing demonization. That's what the kingdom of God does. And why can God do this? Why can Jesus do this? Jesus Christ can heal us because he bore our sicknesses on the cross, didn't he? Jesus Christ died in our place so that we could rise from the dead. Was Christ ever blind? He wasn't technically blind, but he hung in darkness for three hours where he couldn't even see. He hung in darkness under God's judgment so that we could see. And did Jesus ever get demonized? Not to the point where he was influenced by demon, but did Jesus ever become a victim of demons? It says in Genesis that Satan will bruise his what? Heal. That's a demon oppressing and attacking Jesus. Jesus was subjected to the oppression of demons with Satan bruising his heel so that you could be free from demonization. That's why we go to Christ. How does Christ reverse the curse of sin for unrighteous people like us? By him having the blessing reversed on him as the righteous one. On the cross, he reverses the blessing. He deserves all blessing. He gets the what? He gets the curse. So that in our lives, the kingdom of God reverses the curse on us. He became a curse for us on the tree. That's what Galatians 3 says. So brothers and sisters, see the king's current and constant reign. God is always active. Just look at any member of our church, gets in a little bit about their lives, you'll see God actively working. His kingdom is everywhere invading. But let's see the kingdom so that we seek the kingdom. If you don't see it, you'll be unaware of his reign, you won't be focused in this life on seeking first the kingdom and you won't draw near to Jesus. You'll have a disconnected life. But if you see the kingdom of God in your family, in your church, at work, if you see the kingdom of God because you have eyes, biblical eyes to see, you'll see God working everywhere. You'll be encouraged and enthusiastic in your Christian life and you'll draw near to, nearer to Jesus every day. Here's my last encouragement to you, brothers and sisters. God is, I want you to just let this sink in your heart as we close. God is always, 100 percent, 1,000 percent active all around you. He never takes a break. The kingdom never takes a break. God is working all around you all the time. We are just so blind and unaware of his activity everywhere. Let's thank God that he's active. Let's pray that we have eyes to see it, and let's continue to seek first his kingdom. Father, we pray now that we would see that you're active everywhere that we will rejoice in this, that Christ died and rose, that your kingdom has come and is coming and that we get to experience it, participate in it and spread it. So open our eyes to see your kingdom that we might seek first your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.